Make your way, if you will, to Matthew 27. Uh, we've been looking on Sunday nights at a series that I've entitled Living Proof. And I hope you're, you, if you've been part of this for our times together, I hope you're enjoying seeing how this fits together. It's sort of, it's sort of like working a puzzle. Do you like working puzzles? Are you puzzle workers? Do you enjoy that? Uh, I can work puzzles up to a certain level of difficulty, and then it becomes no, not fun for me. But, uh, but to fit the pieces together, to see, get a little sense of what God is doing, it's, it's enjoyable. And it all revolves around this verse of Scripture that's found in Deuteronomy chapter 19.15. And you can stay there, Matthew. It's on the screen in front of you. Where God sets this level to authenticate events happening, especially in a legal sense. He says, One witness shall not rise against the man concerning any iniquity or sin that he commits. One witness is not enough, in other words. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. And I suggest to you we're seeing in Scripture where God arranges, amazingly, we should be amazed by that, but we are because we look at it from the human side, that He arranges at all the critical times to have someone available to witness what is happening. And we've looked at a number. We looked at the transfiguration last time we were together two weeks ago. And uh, even in this passage, if you, we're going to actually begin in just a moment in uh, verse uh, 62, but if you just kind of slip up to verse 57... We looked at the, where it talks about Joseph of Arimathea, and we know from another uh, gospel writer that uh, Nicodemus joined him, that there were two witnesses that saw to it and were, could verify the fact that Jesus was put in that tomb. It was the right tomb. He was really deceased, all those things. And then God in His wisdom allows and arranges. Interestingly enough, He arranges through the decisions and the deliberations of evil people to arrange so that His will is done. Tonight we want to talk about these men who were on guard duty at the tomb of the Lord Jesus. And you might, this might be one of those stories that you sort of overlook, its significance. I think we all get some sense of its significance, but I want to just, if I could just highlight that a little bit tonight, I think it will be a beautiful thing for us to see. But we pick it up in verse 62 where it says, On the next day, now this is the, the morning after the burial, and the burial took place just before sundown on the day of crucifixion. So, uh, he, it, so it's been the next day, and notice what they say, which followed the day of preparation. The chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate. I bet Pilate was not excited to see them come, do you? I mean, he, he probably had his fill of them the day before. And I think he was, in, in essence, he was sort of trapped and railroaded by their arrangement. Remember, they come out, if you're a friend of Caesar, you won't allow someone to be running around calling himself the king. You're, you're disloyal to Caesar. So they sort of threatened him with a charge of disloyalty, which was the last thing Pilate wanted to get back to his uh, benefactors and his bosses in Rome. So he kind of was maneuvered. And he, you remember he, he tried on multiple times, I'll scourge him and let him go. I'm going to wash my hands of the whole thing. So he had some reluctance to be involved. So I don't think he really enjoyed seeing these people come. Saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive... How that deceiver, doesn't it pain you to hear that? Doesn't it pain you to even hear the word? Because we know how awful it is now, how untrue it is. How that deceiver said, after three days I will rise. And Jesus had said that. He had told, he'd told that. It's interesting. The only people who seem to remember it are the people who don't believe it. And the people who should believe it apparently don't remember it. There's probably a sermon in there somewhere, a message in there for us, because there's things that we ought to know as believers that we oftentimes 
let slip from our memory. So that's not really what I want to share with you tonight, but it's, it's too good to pass over without some reference. But he said, after three days, I will rise. Now, here's my question. This is a little tangential to, the, to what we want to talk about tonight. But I wonder if they were a little worried that maybe it was true. Uh, they had to, I mean, th- Jesus was not just like someone else that they uh, uh, could manipulate. They knew about the miracles. They'd heard him speak with authority. They, they approached him. And you remember, they were so happy when Judas shows up, showed up because we could take him undercover, under the cover of darkness. Because they didn't want to take him in a public setting because they prayed, afraid that, that there would be a big uprising, a big riot, or a big revolt. So they've been a little bit fearful of him. So I, I don't know what they believed, but I, I don't think they ever gave voice to it. But you wonder if somewhere in their heart of hearts there was just a little bit of concern that the words were going to be true. Verse 64, Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day. And here's their theory. Lest, uh, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead, so that the last deception will be worse than the first. Those brave disciples, which are nowhere to be found, who are hiding and running for their lives like, you know, as they say, rats leaving a sinking ship, so to speak. I mean, they're running for their lives. Those brave disciples are going to come and steal his body, and that would be a deception. So would you set a guard there just to make sure that the tomb is undisturbed? You know the rest of the story. I know you do. And I, I just I want to insert here, how did that work out for them? How does this go down? Well, part of what God is doing is assuring you and assuring us through verifiable documents that we have in front of us that are based on firsthand accounts of people who were there that if they would have told the truth, would have verified that the tomb indeed was not disturbed at all. Now, you understand there is this thing of a false witness, but God saw to it that there were witnesses who at least in their own hearts, even if they would not admit it publicly, would know and experience and see that the tomb was just as it was. Verse 65, Pilate said to them, You have a guard, go your way, make it secure as you know how. (laughs) Do you not just want to laugh at that verse? Make it as secure as you know how. Our know-how as humans is always pitiful in the plan and the will and the activity of God. Make it as secure as you know how. So they made the tomb secure. So they check it out, make sure everything is as it should be. Sealing the stone. Sealing the stone meant they put a marker of Rome. The authority of Rome was stamped on it. Typically what they would do was they would take a piece of rope and they would attach it to the stone. They'd take a piece of rope and attach it to the, to the face of the tomb. And then it would be sealed with wax, with a, with a signet in it of the mark of Rome. So that if it were tampered with the seal would be broken. And it was a warning to anybody that might be tempted to tamper with it. You're not just messing with desecrating a tomb here. You're not just stealing a body. You're not a grave robber, but you are going against the authority of Rome and you will pay, pay for it severely if you're caught doing this. Verse, chapter 28, verse 1. How would you like to have been on guard duty? I for imagine they were thinking, why are we here? What are we doing here? What do we do? You know, I, just, I can just hear a few soldiers sitting around belly aching to each other, can't you? That's how I envision it. I'm imagining it, but that's, you know. Of all the places we could be on a weekend, and we get, we're out here hanging out in a, in a graveyard. We're hanging out in the tombs, guarding a body, guarding a dead man. 
I mean, you talk about, we could, be, we could be doing a lot of exciting things, and we're in Boringville today. It was about to get very unboring. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see Jesus. And behold, I love how this verse starts. And behold, everything is about to change dramatically. There was a great earthquake, the second in the the three-day period, by the way. A great earthquake, and an an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. If this story didn't have such elements of sadness, we should just laugh our way through the whole thing. Here's this angel. I don't care about seals of Rome. I don't care about rocks. I don't care about guards. I got a job to do. Open the tomb, and then he just plops down. Just sitting here, unconcerned in control, everything's as it should be. And then you look at the soldiers, verse 4, or verse 3. I should talk, here's the description of the angel. I'm sorry, I skipped that. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. They just fainted on the spot at the sight of this angel. They fell away. And uh, then it goes back to the story of, uh, of her coming to the tomb and, and all that she, uh, she experiences. And then the soldier's story is picked up in verse 11, which we'll pick up in just a moment. But here's, I want you to just think with me. I just have a few uh, items that I want to just kind of highlight for you tonight. And what I want to remind you of is just a very simple truth. God can put the pieces together any way he wants and any way he puts them together, even if we can't figure out how the puzzle is going, it's always for the good of his people. It's always for the good of his children. It's always for the good of what his program and plan is. And you and I, if nothing else, this story for us should just inject us with a little bit of confidence, a little bit of relax, a little bit of just cast your care on him, but he cares for you. And maybe you feel like tonight, you know, I've got a few pieces of the puzzle missing and I've I've got a few pieces of the puzzle I can't seem to get a fit in my life. I can't get it all figured out. I don't know what's next. I'm kind of nervous about the future. I'm sort of got that little kind of gnawing anxiety about something or the other. God can snap all the pieces together. And I just think our Lord, this is how I imagine it. I don't know, obviously I don't know. But I think just every day the Lord just looks on what he's doing in spite of our foibles, our failures, our fears, I think he just looks down and he just smiles. He might even chuckle. Because he's, it's not, this is not a problem. It's not a problem. Whatever the problem might be perceived to be, it's not a problem. Number one, I just want to share some, some ironies in this story. And there's about six or seven of them I want to go through. Number one, the guards were seeking to prevent a hoax. But all they did was substantiate the truth. Remember, all this, they're going to come and they're going to deceive everybody. And they're going to, they're going to steal his body away. Now, they were right to some degree. The only thing they needed to do to debunk the story of the resurrection, if it were not true, which is impossible, but the only thing they needed to do was to produce a body. All they needed to do was display a corpse for a little bit of time and, and show everybody that it was Jesus. That, that's all they, they would have needed to do. It was never accomplished, was impossible because Jesus was alive. But they thought they were going to prevent a hoax. But God saw to it that his line, his level, his standard of evidentiary establishment of that which is factual 
He had guards there. I don't know how many there were, by the way. There's been people who speculated through Roman history that there was a certain amount. There was eight or there was 12 or whatever. We know there was at least two because it's plural and probably several more than two, just knowing how Romans typically did things. But nonetheless, there was, it met that evidentiary standard. And it was no hoax. In fact, all four gospel writers make absolutely no doubt that Jesus rose from the dead. The, gospel, the, the, the writers of the rest of the New Testament, no doubt. And, if, and as far as evidentiary, first-hand accounts, documented in writing, of that era, there's probably no more historical event that could be more verified by evidence that we can still access today than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's attested to by multiple eyewitnesses. In fact, Paul writing in 1 Corinthians 15 says, At one point Jesus was seen by more than 500 brethren at one time. So we know he rose. So it was not a hoax. Number two, the guards thought the activity was going to be outside the tomb, but they proved that the activity that was most significant was inside the tomb. Oftentimes, mankind fails that. We're looking at the externals. We're looking at things. And God's doing something completely out of our sight. And he's doing something significant. You know, there's one thing missing from the resurrection account. I remember years ago, we went to see a passion play uh, where they they reenacted the crucifixion. And you've seen those, and churches have done those. But in this scene, it was because they had this big sound system. There was this scene where suddenly you could see the tomb and you could see light kind of suddenly brilliantly, you know, peeking around the, the edges of the rolling stone. And then suddenly, whoom, the, t- the stone just rolled away and the person portraying Jesus steps out in this dramatic moment. Get out your mental eraser and just erase all that. Jesus did not come through the door of the tomb to exit. There's no place it says that. All it says was the stone was rolled away and the tomb was already empty. He doesn't need to open doors, doesn't need to roll stones. It's no problem. God just puts all the pieces in play. And the only reason that angel descended in the earthquake and all that was just like, see, take a look. These angels, these guards take one look at this angel and they just faint on the spot. So it proved that what was going on in there was what of most significance. And this was part of the grand scheme of God, the grand plan of God, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And God saw to it with Joseph, Nicodemus, guards, and later Mary and the other women who come, and then Peter and John, and on and on it goes and goes and goes, that our Savior is alive. Number three, the guards thought they were keeping others out of the tomb. The only thing they proved that they couldn't keep Jesus in the tomb. This This was not a great successful mission for this little squad of soldiers. This, they, they had, like we could say it this way, they had one job to do, and they failed miserably at it. Secure the guard. Make it as secure as you can. Seal it with a, with a seal. Make sure no one disturbs it. Failed miserably. This one is also important. If you go back to the, where it says in the end of verse 66, so they went and made the tomb secure. They check it. They make sure everything's all right. Setting the stone, sealing the stone, and setting the guard. So everything is as it should be. These guards represented the unquestioned, supreme, highest, there was no place else you could appeal, authority in the world of that, world of that day. It was the strength, the might, the authority of all-powerful Rome, starting all the way up to Caesar himself. You just didn't mess with these people. 
Uh, they thought that they were the highest, they were representing the highest human authority. The guards thought the highest human authority was in control of the situation. All they substantiated was that God is ultimately in control. You know, we as humans say extremely dumb things. You know, some politician will say, here's what we're going to do, and here's the answers, and I've, I've, if you just vote for me, it's all... You know, there's not a lot of humility for... and Maybe that's what people think they need for running for office, and I'm not thinking about anyone in particular. I'm just speaking in general terms. I do wish our leaders had a little more humility before God and gave more credence to His authority. Uh, I would prefer that, but we need to pray for them and, and, and be, do what we can to influence, but... But we, we, say, we say things all the time. I'm going to do this. I'd never do that. You remember James talks about this. He says, don't say I'm going to go to such and such a city and do such and such business and I'm going to uh, you know, profit by it. He said, James says, always make sure you say this, as the Lord wills, if the Lord wills. We should put a little more as the Lord wills into our thinking and into our conversation. I, I'm thinking about the, that, uh, you remember the Titanic, you know, I mean, that's a long time ago. But they built this ship, and one of the boasts was, it is so secure, it is so modern, it is so technological advanced, this is what was even said, even God couldn't sink the ship. The only thing it ever did was sink. That was the only thing it ever did. And uh, just, just be careful in that. God is in control. It's not us, and we ought not act like it. Here it's on very vivid display. The guards thought they were superior. We're guards. We're Roman soldiers. All they proved, they just keeled over like frail children. I wonder, now, I don't know exactly how these events went, but it talks about uh, that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary coming, and they were, they were, were told in scriptures they were coming to bring spices because maybe they hadn't communicated with Joseph and Nicodemus, and, and they thought it was that, that he hadn't been anointed properly, and they're just... You know, it's sort of a frantic scene. We couldn't do anything until the, the, the Sabbath and all that's over. So they come early the first day of the week, which was Sunday morning. And here they're coming. And what did they find? I mean, now we, somehow we know this intervening story. So either the guards let it out or perhaps, and again, I, can't, I don't know. Maybe it was all gone, but maybe they just come and there's, there's just an empty tomb. Maybe they saw the last of the soldiers kind of beating it down the path as they're arriving. Maybe they heard some footsteps going out. Uh, I, I doubt, I would love to think they came and saw him laying there fainted, but I, I, that's probably stretching my imagination further than the text will allow. But I would love to think that would be true. But here they are. These men were hardened, battle-tested, rough, rugged. These were like the Navy SEALs of their day, okay? I mean, a Roman soldier, these guys were mean, nasty, tough, no-nonsense, didn't take anything from anybody. They were the toughest of the tough. And they thought, no one's going to mess with us. We're on guard duty. Until an angel shows up and God shakes the earth, rolls back the tomb, and their one job is a failure. Now, let's go down to verse 11 and finish the, the textual story before us. Now, while they were going, behold, that's the women now uh, that, that had come to and interact, had seen Jesus, where Jesus gives them a command in verse 10. Now, while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all the things that had happened. Now, we'll talk about this cover-up, if you will, here in just a moment. God has sent multiple messages to the chief priest, starting with the high priest, 
from the get-go. They have known, it's not a, it's not a, it is not a question of knowing the truth. And here you see, and part of what these guards were was to go to these group of men who were supposed to be the righteous, holy, spiritual leaders of Israel. Everybody else may have heard the cover story, but they heard the real story. It's what it says in the text of Scripture. They reported all these things that had happened. How would you like to be the soldier who had to speak for the group? What are you doing here? Well, it's Sunday. Well, I felt that earthquake. What's going on? Well, we sealed it. We secured it. We guarded it, and suddenly the earth shook, and we saw this man in bright, brilliant clothing descending from heaven. How does that happen? And he rolls the stone away and sat on it, and we just all fainted. How would you like to be the Navy SEAL talking to his general to tell, tell that story? Notice they didn't go to the, to the Romans. They went to the chief priests. I think they, they, I think they go with thinking, who are we going to tell? Because we have failed. We were supposed to make the tomb secure. We have failed. Let's go to the high priest who want to keep this, secret, this story secret. And maybe he can be the inter, inter, intermediary to keep us from getting in trouble with Pilate. So I think there's a little bit of a, of a, of a thoughtfulness. The only hope we got is to get these guys on our side. Otherwise, we might be executed or imprisoned as things go forward. So they told them what had happened. The high priest knew what had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together. Now, the elders is the Sanhedrin. This is a group of 70 men in Israel from from the clans of Israel. So not only did the high priest have firsthand witness that Jesus has risen from the dead, all of the Sanhedrin, all of this group of elders had firsthand accounts that Jesus was risen from the dead. In some ways, God is being gracious to them. In some ways, this is another opportunity for them to repent and to believe in Christ. You get over into Acts, Peter basically says, you need to repent for, for being part and parcel of the crucifixion of Christ and turn from your wicked, wicked deeds and turn to the Lord in forgiveness. But instead, you see their heart on display. When they assembled the elder, with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers saying, tell them... His disciples came at night and stole him away while, he slept, while we slept. And when this comes to the governor's ears, notice, and if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. We will vouch for you. We'll, we'll go to bat for you. We'll make sure nothing happens to you. I really wonder if that's the way it went down. Maybe someday we'll hear the rest of the story. But that was the plan. Here's the cover story. While we were sleeping, by the way, according to Roman law, military law, a soldier sleeping on guard duty was to be executed on the spot. There was no trial. There was no appeal. If you slept on guard duty and you were caught at it, you were supposed to be executed on the spot. So they were admitting, by telling this cover story, they were admitting that they were miserable failures. The, gov- the, the guards thought the cover story would work. It obviously didn't. And lastly, the guards thought money was the answer, and they were wrong. I want to take you to a verse we kind of began when we had our devotional time with a, with a passage that was, I said, very familiar. I want to take you to a verse that's very familiar to you, and I want to encourage you with it. It's found in Romans 8.28. Most of, you, most of us could quote it. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. God puts this all together for good.
And God can put everything together. And, and this, what he put together all these years ago, is good for us. And what God can put together in real time in our lives right now, he can put it together, trust him. And what God can do in days yet future, and what God will ultimately do when he gathers all of his church, as the old hymn says, what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all get to heaven. That being the case, we need to trust in him.